from Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Season. I'm Chef Plum. And I'm Robin Doyon Aiken. We're bringing back an old friend for this episode, and then she'll bring back another old friend. Ahead on Seasoned, local cookbook author Terry Walters will talk with Kevin Massey, the baker behind one of our favorite bakeries, Small State Provisions in West Hartford. We love these two. If you're a fan of Kevin's sourdough, you'll discover later in the show why you have Terry to thank for that. I love sourdough. Me too. But first, I talk with Terry about her new book, Nourish. When Terry's not writing cookbooks, she's teaching hands-on cooking classes. She's a passionate educator about the benefits of fermented food. She's going to teach me how simple it is to ferment fresh radishes, carrots, and snap peas. Okay, now listen to this. Can you hear that? That's the sound of lactic acid fizzing away in a mason jar on Terry's counter. Fermented food is alive. It's pungent, sometimes sweet, sometimes funky, and it's always good for your gut. Terry is the author of four cookbooks. She was first on Seasoned in 2021 to shop with me at the West End Farmer's Market in Hartford. For today's episode, I joined Terry in her kitchen to talk about her latest book. It's called Nourish, Plant-Based Recipes to Feed Body, Mind, and Soul. Her previous books have always focused on, and I'm going to throw out a term here, clean eating. I started by asking Terry how that concept evolved for her over time and why it was important for this book to land on a title like Nourish, which doesn't emphasize any particular way of eating. When Clean Food came out, my first book, it was always about eating food that was minimally processed so we could get the maximum nutrition. But people kind of glommed onto the whole idea and started adding all sorts of judgment to it and deprivation and rules and restrictions that I didn't feel really served the individual or the name Clean Food. The whole idea was to lay a foundation so we could make healthy choices But the reality is that as time's gone on, what I've seen is that people are so focused on the food that they forget that the food actually serves a greater purpose Mm -hmm. other than just nutrition. It brings people together. It feeds all of our senses. At least I hope it does. That's my goal, that it will. And so I really wanted this book to encapsulate all of that, that the food is nourishment. It nourishes our family. It nourishes our community. It nourishes the environment, all of it, and that we are just part of a cycle with it. Yeah, nourish is like an everybody word. I kind of like that. Yeah, it's an everybody and an everything word. Okay. (laughs) When we talked last year, it was the height of summer, and we walked through a bustling farmer's market together. And we were all about making some of the most fresh fruits and vegetables available to us in Hartford. But something that struck me with your latest book is the chapter on fermented foods. You teach workshops on fermentation and you're passionate about helping people make the connection between fermented foods and wellness. Mm -hmm. We all know that kimchi is kind of a gateway to appreciating fermented goodness. I'm trying to get my (laughs) wife into it right now, but there's so much more. There is. And, um, yeah, my books are all organized by season because I really do believe that like, if you eat the food that grows around you in that season, you're going to have a better chance of maintaining balance yeah. in the season. But in this book, I put fermentation first because it really is the foundation. It should be part of every day. And there's so much fresh produce around us that makes fermentation not only varied, but easy and delicious. And it's really critical to our physical health, to our immune support, to our mental health. I mean, all of it. And so um, 
this book was super fun to be able to include that in it. And, and I'm excited to make some ferments with you today. Well, I can't wait. And I hope it makes my brain smarter too, because ever since I've gotten past my 40s, I, I forget things constantly. So It's not going to hurt. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> you know, our, our producer, Catrice, turned us on to a new restaurant with the tagline, The Healthiest Place in New Haven. It's devoted to fermented foods, and it's called The Remedies Culture Cafe. Fermentation is not a fad. It's it's a real thing. It's actually about as old a way of preserving our food as right. we have. Like before we had refrigerators, we fermented our food. You know, we brought in the cabbage from the garden and we chopped it up and put it in the bottom of the barrel, sprinkled some salt, tampered it down, another layer of cabbage, more salt, tamper, right? And that lived in the basement. And then we had a crock and we filled the crock and brought it upstairs and left it on the counter until it was empty. Went downstairs, filled it up, and that was how we preserved our food. And that big barrel of fermented cabbage in the basement just kept fermenting and fermenting and growing more and more healthy probiotics and and nutrients as well. That's our original way of preserving, and we've really moved away from it. So I don't think of this as a trend. I think of it as a acknowledgement of all the good that it was and a desire to move back to. Yeah. So when we go to New Haven, can I come with you? And I would eat? love Absolutely. <laughs> I want you to go everywhere I go, Tammy. You're so fun to hang out with. Um, we, we touched on it briefly here, but just talk a little bit more about the benefits of fermented foods and kind of how they can help everybody. I'm going to paint a picture because okay. I'm a visual learner. So we have more bacteria in our guts than we have cells. More bacteria in your gut than cells. cells. It's amazing, Man. right? Wow. Is that That's mind-boggling to me? What? More bacteria than cells, right? And we don't make that bacteria on our own. We have to bring it in. Okay. And it's in living fermented foods. So it's really important. A lot of people talk about the importance of probiotics, which are these fermented foods, but it's also important to talk about prebiotics, which are the nutrients that feed those fermented foods. So in Nourish, I try and give equal time to both. Fermenting the food does a lot to the food. It, As I mentioned, it brings out more nutrition, like it creates nutrients. It develops all of the, cultivates the healthy bacteria that's already on the food to these amazing probiotics. It supports our digestion. It supports our immune strength. It actually helps with cognitive function. So these fermented foods are really critical to our health, and they're so fun and easy to make, and we can ferment with almost any produce. And in the book, I talk, we're doing all brine ferments. So there are all sorts of other ways to ferment foods with different starter cultures, but this is simple. You need a bottle, you need some salt, you need some water, and time. Not too hard. Anybody can do that, right? So Terry, for people who might not know, what is the difference between a pickle and something that's fermented? That's a great question, and there is actually quite a bit of confusion, so I'm really glad you asked, because you can go to the grocery store and see sauerkraut and pickles that are shelf-stable. Right. You might think that they're fermented, but if, first of all, if they're shelf-stable, they're not still living. But pickles, in the true sense of the word, use vinegar with sugar dissolved into it. That is heated and then poured over the vegetables, and they're cooked. So there's no healthy bacteria being cultivated or living. And they're also can be shelf-stable. Fermented foods, we're actually cultivating the bacteria that's naturally on the vegetables. And we put them in brine, so they use salt and water, no vinegar, no sugar, and they're left at room temperature to ferment and to grow. And those foods are 
always in the refrigerated section. So you can have a fermented pickle that's made with brine, or you can have a traditional pickle made with warm vinegar and sugar. The warm vinegar and sugar pickle might be absolutely delicious, but it's not going to feed that healthy gut bacteria and that microbiome like the fermented pickle or fermented foods. And that fermented food takes a longer time to make than a pickle. Fermented foods aren't instant, but they don't have to take a lot of time either. So the amount of time that they take depends on your personal taste. So someone might throw some, like we're doing today, throw some vegetables in a jar with some brine and let it ferment three or five days, whereas the next person might like them more sour and might let it ferment two to four weeks. So it's totally up to you. It takes as much time as you want to give it and as your tastes allow. Okay, that sounds great. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Longer time, the more funk. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, like, I have a I have a crock of kimchi on the counter, and if I were to take that out in three days, it would have some nice spice mm-hmm. and be real sour and delicious. And then it gets more sour as it ferments. Yeah. And then after about two weeks, it starts getting sweeter. Interesting. So it's really interesting. Fermentation, it changes. And of course, the whole time we're cultivating bacteria. So if you just open it up and take a little bite just to see where it is, you're still getting that health benefit. And you can decide, oh, is it good like this? Put it in the refrigerator. Or I think I'll let it go a little bit longer. When you put it in the refrigerator, does that stop the fermentation process because of the temperature? It slows the fermentation process, but it doesn't stop it. So like I use miso as an example because so many people, you've had a container of miso, you use it. And then it gets pushed to the back of the refrigerator (laughs) and you're like, oh, I didn't even know it was there, right? And you take it out and now it's a slightly different color and it's got some liquid on it and it's still totally fine. It's just kept fermenting. It's so funny you said that and all I did was picture my refrigerator with my miso shoves in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're not alone. Or the two or three containers. (laughs) You just validated everybody else. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. So people may not think of sauces as fermented foods, but they can be, right? They can be. And the pickles that we're making today like at the end of the ferment, if we decided, oh, let's turn that into a hot sauce, we just stick it into our, you know, high speed blender and maybe add a little pinch of uh, lime juice mm-hmm. or apple cider vinegar um, and be good to go. Like I have some fermented sauce here. And so you can see like the layers. I've got some hot peppers. I've got some pineapple, onion, garlic. And this is all in brine. And it's been here for about eight days. Later today, I'm going to take this, or maybe while you're here, we'll take it and we'll puree it, add some lime juice, and now here's that beautiful habanero pineapple hot sauce fermented. So not all hot sauces are fermented, but it's certainly easy to do. And what a great way to get your probiotics. You know, have a taco with some hot sauce, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) These are two big ball jars here, and this is beautiful orangish, deep, deep orange red colored hot sauce here that I can't wait to taste. And then your other one you said is, this is the layer. I see the peppers, I see the onions. It's it's almost like a jar full of Skittles, which <laughs> big ones. But I love all the colors in there. For me, you know, sometimes I say a lot of times when it comes to eating healthy, just eat a bunch of colors. Because if it's bright colors, it's probably good for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I always talk about the pillars of eating clean. All the colors of the rainbow, all five tastes, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, mm-hmm. pungent. And don't vilify any of those tastes because they're legit. Just get them nutritionally. And superfoods, right? Those can't deny superfoods, which are basically all the tastes and colors you're not getting is your unique superfood. And fermented foods, those are our pillars of eating clean. Well, all this talk about cooking and making fun things in jars and fermenting, and and I'm seeing knives on a cutting board. I want to get in this kitchen and get moving. Can we make something? Yeah, let's Let's do do it. it.
This is a good time for a short break. Later in the hour, Terry talks with her friend, the baker Kevin Massey, about his big plans for small state provisions. I'm Robin Doyon Aiken. And I'm Chef Plum. On the other side of the break, fermentation, baby. Terry's going to show me how to drop some veggies in a jar and... Did you say let it rot? Did you no, really so let say it, that? Let it rot. Let it rot. Let it rot. <laughs> well, it is going to rot, too. This is seasoned. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. The FDA has recently approved ZepBound, a new medication for chronic weight management. Dr. Davida Umashankar, Hartford HealthCare's System Medical Director of Medical Weight Loss, tells us more. ZepBound helps decrease hunger and increase satiety levels. Taking this medication for 72 weeks, people can see at the highest dosage approximately 48 pounds of weight loss. So definitely a powerful drug and another powerful tool that we have to utilize to help individuals who struggle with obesity. For those ready to explore their medical weight loss options, Dr. Umashankar has advice on the first most important step. I don't think anyone knows you better than your own primary care physician. So having that conversation whenever you feel ready is so important because these medications are quite powerful and do need to be monitored on a regular basis. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Chef Plum. And I'm Robin Doyon Aiken. When I book local guests on the show, and I think they might be game, I ask if Plum can visit them in their kitchen so they can cook together. Avon cookbook author Terry Walters said, come on over. You always make me cook. Well, you're pretty good at it, Plum. I asked Terry to help us understand the benefits of fermented food while she talked me through one of her recipes in her latest book, Nourish, plant-based recipes to feed body, mind, and soul. Before we get into this watermelon radish and snap pea salad, at what point when you're fermenting something, is it, okay, that's not safe to eat. Okay, that's gone bad. Because I think of fermenting as things going bad a little bit. It is funny that we're intentionally rotting the food. So it is a little odd. And I confess that I fermented food for probably six months before I had the guts to actually taste my own ferments. (laughs) (laughs) But I totally understand that. I totally understand that. But the beautiful thing is that with a brine ferment, everything under the brine, the top layer of brine, will ferment and everything above will rot. Interesting. And so our goal is just to keep everything pressed down below the brine. And the beautiful thing is that if it rots, you're going to see it. You're going to see fuzz. You're you're not going to want it. You're going to know, oh, it's been contaminated or maybe some bad bacteria from the environment got in. So you're going to see that. And so it's really easier. It's so much easier than canning. Yeah. And we're going to wash all of our produce, not scrub it and not peel it. Just going to rinse it off. So we're going to keep the good bacteria on. And anywhere that bad bacteria can be harbored, like any little nooks and crannies, like we have some sugar snap peas here, Mm -hmm. and the ends where we're going to pull off the strings and just pinch off the ends where the flower was because that little nook and cranny can harbor bad bacteria. Excellent. Okay. That's a really good explanation. That helps me tremendously keep it underneath the, in the brine itself. Exactly. Okay. Which Good. it sounds so easy, but it's salt water. Everything likes to float. Yeah. Right. So we're going to have to put a little 
little weight okay. in there. Or, you know, We'll figure it out as this we go. This sounds great. <laughs> so I'm sitting here at your cutting board. You've got a ball jar, some water. I've got some carrots that we've washed off here, a radish. And I'm holding my knife and I'm waiting for your instructions. Okay, How so do we do this for this beautiful first, watermelon radish? The first thing is the things that are likely to float to the top, we want to put those on the bottom. Okay. So I've got some garlic here. And so you want to take three or four cloves of garlic. Okay. And not only are you going to peel them, but the end where the root might have been that has like, you know, some nubs, you're going to slice that off. And then I like to slice my garlic into a few slices. So there's a lot of surface area for it okay. to diffuse into the brine. Sounds good. trash can. There's compost right behind compost. you. <laughs> you know, I'm hanging out with Terry Walters at her house. I don't know why I would say the word trash can. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so, so slice those into some nice big chunks. Chunks? Chunks. My feeling is I just don't want anybody picking up a piece of garlic, thinking it's part of a radish or something else, and eating that, because that okay. can be quite a surprise. <laughs> Now, is fermented garlic a thing? Of course. Yeah, of course. That. It's just that you want to make sure you're eating the things you love. And, you know, fermented foods have a lot of taste, big taste, big aromas here. And the best way to get these foods for people who are not used to that kind of taste is to add them to something you already love. So, yeah. like, it could be a piece of that fermented garlic or one of these vegetables or some sauerkraut. Like, okay. just mince it up after it's fermented and put it in some salsa or put it into your salad dressing. And now all of a sudden you're getting the benefit and you're slowly developing a taste for those fermented foods. Okay, so throw that in your jar. This is going right into this ball jar here? You got it. I like to put a little heat in my pickles. So okay. I've got some peppercorns here and you can throw a little handful of those in the jar. And I've got some red pepper flakes. I love black pepper. Love it. I think with me, one of the things about black pepper is that a lot of people like to cook with their black peppers. Mm -hmm. Black pepper actually can burn. You should always finish it with it. I love it. I'm in a cooking class today, too. <laughs> All right. I got some red chili flakes in there. I got a little black pepper in there. Now, I just happen to have these jalapenos just already sliced. Look and so, no, I really did just happen to. So you can throw those jalapenos <laughs> in there. <laughs> These are just cut up in your fridge? They're just cut up okay. from taco night the other night. What can I tell Wonderful. you? I, you know, that's the thing about fermentation. It's really good to know. Use what you have. Leftovers are actually great for that. Next, we've got some carrots. Okay. Now, you're going to cut off the ends, and you can cut them into rounds. You can cut them into sticks, however you think you'd like to eat them. Okay. But the one thing to note is that if there's a place on the carrot, or if you're using a beet on the beet, where... You notice that maybe there's like a little root coming out and some bad bacteria can be harbored there. Just trim those little areas okay. away. And into the jar those go. All and right. now at 12 o'clock, you have a beautiful watermelon radish. Ah, <laughs> right here. And, you know, I love the watermelon radish because who doesn't love hot pink food? It's sure. just the greatest. But you can see, like, this little end here needs where the root was. That has some bad areas that should be trimmed off. And same with the other end. The that, stem where the stem and the, yep. yep, where okay. those came out. So trim off your ends, and then you can... Chop or that slice like that, that up. What if little sides are kind of little scrapes on them? Is that okay? I, I'm okay with the scrapes. You're okay with that? Okay, yeah. good. And hey, just a little safe note for everybody. When you are cutting with a knife, always start with a flat end of something. Cut a little section of it, make sure it's nice and flat, and then cut there because that makes life a lot easier for yourself. Beautiful. These are so beautiful and hot pink. Look Aren't they so pretty? My first bass guitar when I played in the band was hot pink. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a true story. <laughs> we talked before about the colors. Look at all the colors there. 
we could put green beans in here. Okay. We could put the stems of our broccoli in here, like so right. many different things. So now we have some sugar snap peas. But before we put those in, at 11 o'clock over there, you've got some beautiful fresh dill. Okay. And let's get that in there so that the sugar snap peas hold that down. I like maybe in half. Okay. Yep. And just drop it in and there. Just drop it in and stems and all. Yep. So here are sugar snap peas. You just want to pick off the ends so that anywhere where that we bad... want that little thread coming um, off of there it can come off okay cut off the ends or you could pinch them and peel back the string totally up to you yeah that's what i'm doing but my gorilla hands never seem to get the string perfectly when i do it i think it's really important that people know that you don't have to be a chef to make this yeah you throw that produce in the jar you cover it with brine and you are gonna have that's a it. really delicious ferment that's it there we go i'm pressing it now Okay, so now we have some water, just regular tap water. And okay. if you are on city water, you're going to want to just pour your water into a container and let it sit overnight so that any fluoride, chlorine can either sink to the bottom or float out. And that way you can get a nice clean pour in the morning because those additives can affect your ferment. What about if someone has a, a Brita pitcher or something like that in their refrigerator? Does that work better than tap water? Brita pitcher will do great. Okay. Yep. And you can pour right from that. You don't the have to. The cleanest water that you have available to you. Good. So we have three cups of water here. Okay. And we're going to add three heaping teaspoons of sea salt. This is important to get this measurement right because okay. we want about a 3% brine solution. Too much salt is going to inhibit the ferment. Not enough salt is going to allow the wrong bacteria to grow. Okay. So, so I need three teaspoons. In your water. Into the water. Three cups of water, three teaspoons One. of salt. And we're leveling these teaspoons out, right? No, nah, heaping's good. Okay, good. All right. Stir that and get that salt all dissolved. And I always make the brine separately to make sure I'm getting the right percentage of salt to the water. Smart. If we were to use beets and something with more sugar, we would increase the salt so that it's a higher percent brine solution. Okay. And fill that bottle up. So we're gonna pour this right into mm -hmm. our jar here. Cover those vegetables. How big is this jar? That's a quart size ball jar. Okay. Right to the top. Perfect. We got one floater here. We got a few oh, no. floaters. <laughs> what are they doing? Get out of here. Okay, so we have two options. I like these to ferment maybe five days. Okay. So we can just put the cover on, and the cover itself will push everything down yep. below the level of brine. If we wanted it to ferment longer, we could take an empty spice jar and put that in to hold right, the vegetables down. down and then just cover it with a cloth. Either one will do. Okay. We, we don't shake this up or anything. Just like this. Let it rod. No. Let it, did you say let it rod? Did yeah, you no, really so let say it, that? Let it ride. Let it ride. Let it ride. <laughs> well, it is going to rot too, but <laughs> all for the greater good. Right. So we're going to cover this up in once a day, maybe twice a day. I like to leave it away from direct sunlight, okay. away from heat, and we're going to burp it, which only means we're going to unscrew the Just lid. Gently unscrew a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let a little air come let out. The, let the gases come out and then screw it back again. Okay. And by the second day you're going to notice it's going to be really yeah. fizzy because isn't that byproduct carbon dioxide it's lactic acid okay lactic acid oh so you have some already finished here okay so we could have okay. some fun here with an explosion when we open this oh, but, good. <laughs> but let's give it a shot these have been fermenting for about eight days they've been in the refrigerator so hopefully we'll be okay but they might be pretty active i'm holding it tight just in case it's okay. It won't it be the good. it won't be the first thing to spill all over my counters. All right. <laughs> oh, look at that. 
So now you'll see it looks really different. Like these on top the are the though. watermelon radishes, but the color from the radish has gone largely into yeah. the brine. And um, so has the heat from the jalapenos and the red pepper. Mm-hmm. And give a taste. And you can see the fizz popping up out of here. The fizz is the best way to describe it, I think. Like the byproduct coming off of the uh, fermentation. Exactly. All right, let's All right you ready? Let's Radish open. time. I'm eating a sugar snap pea. Mmm. Mmm. That is yummy. Mm-hmm. Kid friendly. I put green beans and sugar snap peas in here with a little bit of jalapeno. The kids didn't eat the jalapeno, but they loved everything else. Right. Nice and tart. Mm-hmm. Almost like a has that pickle kind of flavor going on, but a little bit of like, hey, there's a party in the background. What's going on back there? The heat from the jalapeno is there. It's not overpowering whatsoever. Right. Although I do think heat is a word that I find scares some people. Yeah. And so I really like heat, but I like heat that has flavor. Mm-hmm. But if you're fermenting for the first time, first, take the produce you love and start with that. So maybe it's sugar snap peas, maybe it's carrots, something you know you're going to love. And if you're afraid of the heat, don't Mm. put any in there. You're still going to get a really delicious, flavorful Mm -hmm. pickle. And then you can go from there and experiment and see what you're into. That's delicious. I'm going to make this at my house. Awesome. All right. So not everything in this book is fermentation, Mm -hmm. right? There's a great recipe that i got to talk about because we're in Connecticut and pizza is a way of life here. But you have a sweet potato pizza. In the book, you call it the world's most perfect food. Can you talk a little bit about this plant-based twist on a pizza? I love this pizza crust. It is made with steamed sweet potatoes and some gluten-free flour and a little bit of apple cider vinegar. And pretty much that's it. The amazing thing about it is it comes out no matter what flour blend you use. I've made it where it looks really runny and it comes out perfectly. Or it looks really thick. And it comes out perfectly because every flour blend is going to be a little bit different. What's great about it is that not only is it easy, you can make it really savory. Like I have the recipe in the book with with some pesto and some arugula and some mataki mushrooms. You can also make it sweet. If you take the garlic out of the crust and put a little bit of cinnamon in it, and then when it's done, like drizzle some honey on it and some figs and some, I don't know, hazelnuts, like it could be your dessert. And it freezes great. So you can make these individual size and put a little bit of parchment paper between them and put them in a bag in the freezer. And now you've got a pizza crust whenever you want it. So we've talked about some savory recipes in the book, but you also include plenty of desserts and sweet things. I love making an energy bite. I love turning them into like a bite-sized ball or pressing it into a baking sheet and cutting them into bars or dipping them into chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I think it's just really important to know that you can take nuts and seeds and some dried fruit and very little, sometimes even no sweetener, put it in a food processor and come up with a great bar, a great bite. So many options for that. And there is one recipe that's the no recipe energy bar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it's put everything in a bowl and, you know, drizzle a little maple syrup if you want it sweet, just enough to cover it, press it into your nut or seed butter and you're good to go. And that's all it takes. That's all it takes. I love the use of the dried fruit. I think it's a very underutilized item that people can have in their kitchens. This book, Nourish, has no refined sugars, no refined ingredients in it. So my sweetener of choice is maple syrup. We call it liquid gold in yeah. this house. <laughs> And uh, it's low in sucrose. It's just enough sweet. All the sweets in this book, 
you can have for breakfast, you can have for dessert, you can have for a snack. They're good fuel. I love that. I love sweets for breakfast. It's my favorite thing to do, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) So before we go, and this last question maybe gets a little bit into the, the subtitle of your book, that the whole feeding your mind and soul aspect. Every chapter begins with an original poem, which is awesome, by the way. Thank you. And we get a glimpse into your deep appreciation of each season, its food and the people you're sharing it with. Can you talk a little bit about the inspiration behind the most personal part of the book? I and mean, it's really, really beautiful. Thank you. I guess I just really notice how my body works as part of a bigger system, how I'm connected to the land, how this is the time of year when I'm planting the seeds and soon I'll be harvesting the garlic and the connection that affords me with my local farmer and with you and with the people who consume my food. So this book, I just really wanted people to understand that food brings us together it inspires the conversation. It can heal. It can sustain us. You know, we've spent a lot of time talking about the microbiome, but the soil is like the microbiome of the earth. And so what we eat and how we eat and source our food is also equally as important. And I really wanted people to see that we're an intimate and integral part of that whole system. In the end, that connection feeds us every bit as much as the food. That was the wisdom of Terry Walters. She and I made a recipe from her new book, Nourish. We've got a link to it on our show page, ctpublic.org slash seasoned. You'll find the recipe for Terry's sweet potato pizzas on our site as well. There's also a gorgeous roasted heirloom tomato tart from the book that you are definitely going to want to make this summer. I can't wait for summer tomatoes. You and me both. I'm Robin Doyon Aiken. And I'm Chef Plum. That's not the end of Terry for this episode. When we come back, you'll hear Terry's conversation with small states baker Kevin Massey about his plans for a new bakery. When people come into our little bakery, it feels like they're stepping into somebody's kitchen. And that's something that I'm going to work very hard to kind of replicate at the new space. You're listening to Seasoned on Connecticut Public Radio. We'll be right back. we tend to think of slavery as a Southern thing. Slavery in New England has been intentionally erased. The story we tell is this is family slavery. So it comes off as very benign and not dehumanizing. Coming March 18th, a special series, Unforgotten, Connecticut's Hidden History of Slavery. Visit ctpublic.org unforgotten. Funding provided by the Wadsworth Athenaeum Museum of Art and the Amistad Center for Art and Culture. Welcome back to Seasoned, everyone. I'm Chef Plum. And I'm Robin Doyon Aiken. Kevin Massey started Small State Provisions as a cottage bakery out of his home in 2019. It grew into a tiny 200-square-foot micro-bakery in West Hartford's Gastro Park. And this spring, Small State is growing again. Kevin's opening a second 2,200-square-foot location very soon in Avon. Kevin was a guest on Seasoned last year for our live episode devoted to bread. We had lots of calls, so we didn't get to dig into Kevin's personal story. We figured, since he and Terry Walters are friends, why not pair them up for a conversation so you can get to know the baker of what I believe to be the best focaccia in the state. He makes a pretty stellar sourdough, too. He sure does. Kevin spoke with Terry at Small State Provisions inside the Gastro Park. It's a big open bar space with high ceilings. Great for gathering for pizza nights. 
but maybe not so great for audio. <laughs> and they're mere inches away from a working bakery, so you'll hear the occasional noise of equipment and a few bakers at work. Terry asked Kevin about the communities he's passionate about and his big plans for Small State. My vision for the new space is that it's going to become a community hub in Avon. You know, we will be doing more of what we're already doing, which is focusing on organic sourdough bread, organic pastries, cookies and scones, and really just having the capacity to do more and serve a new community while keeping our space here at Gastro Park. So what started out just driving around in my car, delivering mm-hmm. bread, has now led to the growth of a new bakery, which I'm very excited about. I think it was about six years ago, is that possible, when you sent me a text and said, Terry, I'm, I'm kind of interested in sourdough. What can you tell me? And I said, oh, just come on over. And we spent a really great morning baking together. And the way I tell the story is that as soon as you left, my phone started to blow up with... In the very beginning, it was questions, and then it was really clear that the student had become the teacher. <laughs> and so where did that passion come from, that interest, and how has it grown? Yeah, so my grandmother was always a great baker and a great cook, and my family, I come from a very good family of cooks. We never had bad food growing up. And yeah, when my husband and I moved here to West Hartford, I had done some bread baking back in New York, mostly with the Jim Leahy no-need method. And that was my first attempt at bread. And then you and I, Terry, connected when I moved here to the Hartford area. And I remember our first date was at Dom's (laughs) and we ended up sitting there for hours chatting and And yeah, I came over to your house. I don't think I had ever been to your house before, but I immediately felt like I was part of the family. And we made bread that day. And then I did. You sent me home with the dough. And I will tell listeners, we still use your sourdough starter (laughs) here at the bakery. We've kept it alive. It's actually called Mother Tea or Mother Terry. And I have a great picture that you gave me. Mother T. I'm so honored. (laughs) And so is she. (laughs) And everybody knows you guard Mother T with your life. But I do know if we ever screw up and Mother T goes away, we can just call for more. You can. (laughs) (laughs) So everybody who has experienced it knows that your bread is the best. Thank you. But there's a lot more that you bake. So tell us about all of your baked goods, like those amazing vegan chocolate chip cookies that I adore. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'll tell listeners how we ended up at Gastro Park. You know, I started baking out of my house in the fall of 2019. And then I'm on the board of directors for Healing Meals, which is another project that you and I share a lot of interest with and passion with. And Healing Meals Community Project is based in Simsbury now, I guess Avon, border, border border of both. And I don't know what clicked, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I just thought, I've got this opportunity to bake. I can do contactless delivery to people. I'm going to bake as much as I can. I was baking seven days a week at that point. And then all of the proceeds went to healing meals for that first few months. And that was really how it started to grow. And then through that, Tate Norton, who's the owner here at Gastro Park, became one of my customers. And he said, you should come check out what I'm doing here with Gastro Park. And this was just a brick shell. And I saw this little tiny room <laughs> with a big window. And I thought, I can do this here. 
the vision was that there would be something next door to us at the bakery. So we actually have Alvarium coffee roasteries directly next door to us. So when we moved into this space, it was things that we added to our bakery menu really to complement what the coffee shop was selling. Because at home, I was doing bread and I was doing granola. Those were the two things that you could order. But when we moved into here, it became bread plus some scones and some cookies. And I look back to like that summer we first started and we had two types of cookies. We always have ginger molasses cookies and that's a whole nother story. Mm -hmm. uh, but then we were having a rotating cookie and then we had one type of scone. And now I look at our case, you know, we're up to eight employees now and we have a case that's just filled with different items. But, you know, we've really diversified what we make because we want to be able to, to reach a larger community. So we do have a vegan chocolate chip cookie. I was vegan for, <laughs> for a while um, and I wanted to have a cookie that I could eat at the bakery. So we have this vegan chocolate chip cookie. You know, this took me a little bit of convincing to get over. We have one gluten-free option now because we've had lots of people come in and just ask, do you have anything that's gluten-free? Mm -hmm. And we're not, you know, when people are actually like they need a completely gluten-free environment, I always send them to Pure Love out in Avon. But we offer something. Right? And for me, that's the part of the community that we're trying to be is something where everybody can feel like they've got something that they can get. Mm -hmm. And we use all organic products. I mean, I should say as much organic as possible, including our grains, mm -hmm. but everything is the best that we can find. That extra money, it supports a farmer who's invested in taking care of the soil, taking care of the product that they're growing and making sure that they're doing it in a way that's sustainable. And then we get the health benefits from it. And I never, I will never look back. I will never sacrifice cutting a corner for the cost of a food product. So you were super nice to pick me up this morning on our way here. I and was. we did make a stop yes. along the way. Yes. So, so speaking we, about organic and yeah. all of the local organizations that you support. When I started doing this, it was like, how can I take revenue that we're earning through the bakery and really make sure that for the most part, it's going back into the community? And so Sub Edge Farm, which is based not too far from your house and not too far from our new bakery, is where we get all of our eggs. And so I drive out there once a week and I pick up all the eggs. And I still get that feeling going up and over the hill to see the expansive valley and to think that 10 minutes from home is this beautiful farm mm -hmm. where I can pick up my eggs and I love supporting what they do. And my hope is that as we grow, they can keep up with the demand for us because we used to get 15 dozen eggs and today I picked up 45 dozen eggs. So it's been growing. I'm really glad there was room for me in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and we get a lot of produce from them in the summers too. So strawberry season will be coming up very quick. And I've already warned my team. It's about that time of year where I'm just literally going to start buying flats and flats of strawberries from them. And I remember your strawberry scones last year, yes. so I'm excited uh, about that. <laughs> yeah. We try to incorporate local wherever we can. It's part of the ecosystem that I want to support, which mm -hmm. is supporting the community that supports us. Kevin, you mentioned Healing Meals Community Project a little bit earlier. Can you tell us more about that organization and your role there? Yeah, absolutely. So Healing Meals is an organization that I care about so much. I'm on the board of directors there. Honestly, the first time I walked into that kitchen at our farm, I was transported. And I think that really became a turning point for me where I was like, 
being there in the kitchen with the kids at Healing Meals and with the adult volunteers, I knew I found my place. And so for those that don't know Healing Meals, we're an organic meal delivery service based in Simsbury, I guess Avon Simsbury at Talcott Mountain collective area. And we do organic meals for families facing acute health crisis. And those meals are prepared by high school youth volunteers alongside adult volunteers. That's awesome. And tell me about the work that you do with the Hartford Gay and Lesbian Health Collective. I'm a proud gay man married to my husband for over 10 years now. Every June for Pride, you know, when we lived in New York, it was always a big celebration. And so every June, we like to do a give back here at the bakery. So we have one product that goes to an organization. And so I donated a dinner this past year for their one big event, which we hosted right here in the bakery for four people. (laughs) And it was wonderful. And we went to the one big event this upcoming year. We'll probably donate another dinner. I'm probably going to buy a table to bring people to or to, you know, have other people join me in that. And again, I think it's just, it's finding organizations that align with who I am who my family is and what we want to give back to and helping to support those missions because everybody's trying to just make it and we can all make it so much further if we if we do it together. Amen to that. You mention community all the time. I feel like I, as a customer, am friends with your whole staff. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about how your community has fed you and the relationship you have not only with the community of your staff, but with the greater community? Yeah, that's a really great question. And one that doesn't get lost on me. I think I spent so many years working in influencer marketing and working with influencers. And I myself was for a long time kind of in that space of working on food, taking pictures of food, putting it up on social media. And it's a beautiful thing that people do. It's almost like an art form. What's important for my soul is to actually be able to cook for people. And so that's really kind of what I think about every day. One of my favorite things about this is like, I will have two customers that are in line and they end up knowing each other from like vastly different things and they end up side by side in line and it creates conversation. It creates real connection with people. And I've brought in the bakers that I work with mostly from the community. And yeah, so my team has grown. Like I said, I have eight employees now. My head bread baker, Patrick, actually relocated here from Nantucket to take this job and to work for us. So he's new to the area. So I like to say we're we're bringing jobs into the area and helping people move here. Building my team is is something that's really important to me and making sure our team feels like they're part of the family. I love that. To me, that's more nourishing than the food itself is just that connection. And I know when I'm standing in line, not only do I feel that connection with the people that I'm with, but I walk up to the counter and I think you only have to be here once or twice before people greet you by name and they look at you and they look down at the counter and say, oh, I think you want those cookies. Yeah. Okay. Give me (laughs) one of the cookies. (laughs) It just, it feels very much like home. Yeah. And that's, we get that a lot that when people come into our little bakery, it feels like they're stepping into somebody's kitchen. And that's something that I'm going to work very hard to kind of replicate at the new space because it is much bigger, but I still want it to have that very intimate, homey feel where people are, you know, we know who each other are and we, we take care of each other. 
it wouldn't be right to not talk about pizza night in the state of Connecticut. And, you know, I like to tell my family, you don't know how good you have it because I make these great sourdough pizzas. <laughs> you do make great. We've, <laughs> we've benefited from those sitting on your front porch. Yeah. Well, I've benefited from yours as well. So, and pizza night is just always a blast. So I'm really hoping you're going to bring it to Avon, but tell me about pizza night. We do pizza night the first Thursday of every month. It starts at six o'clock. We use our organic sourdough focaccia as the base. I make a slightly sweet and spicy tomato sauce that goes on them. So I grew up in central New York. I grew up in Syracuse, but Utica is famous for what's called the Utica pie. That gets cheese first and then sauce. So we do ours on our focaccia with cheese, and then we put the sauce in a little Parmesan. And we tend to sell out very quick. So we do about 200 slices of pizza. But to see this whole food hall kind of filled up with people waiting in line to get our pizza, it makes my heart want to explode because we do a different style pizza than what Connecticut is known for. It's a little bit fluffier. It's more of like a grandma style pizza hybrid between a grandma and a Detroit style. And it's again, it's about being part of this food community that we are at Gastro Park. And we will be bringing pizza night to Avon. I think I think (laughs) my vision is that we'll do more than once a month because our Avon location is located directly in front of Hop Meadow Brewing. So I think there's a lot of great synergies that we're going to have with Hop Meadow as well. So I'm excited to work more closely with them and to kind of get to know them better and be part of that. So I feel like it's a very kind of symbiotic relationship on how it's all kind of come together. At least from where I'm standing, you appear to be absolutely fearless. You take risks. You don't look back. You just seem to be tuned in in such a way that you know what the community needs even before the community needs it. And so we come so excited (laughs) to have that provided for us. So tell me, how has it been taking this next step to open the new bakery? And what can we expect there? Yeah, it's a big move. Mm -hmm. And it's been definitely up and down. And everything that I've done has just been to take that next step. And we're very fortunate. I wake up every day grateful that I get to do this and that we do have community that comes out. And we're slowly just trying to figure everything out as we go. Well, you do that in a really beautiful way. Thank you. And you have an incredible talent. Thank you. So thank you. Our whole community is grateful to have you. I'm excited to be part of it. I really am. So before we wrap up, I just want to know, is there going to be a party? Can uh, I come celebrate with you and <laughs> raise yeah, a glass and toast I, there you will more be than I am right a now? Party. Maybe my 40th <laughs> birthday party because that's coming up in October. But yeah, I think there's going to be a welcome of sorts that we're going to do for the community because lots of people want to come and celebrate. And it's just been incredible to me, the number of people in this community that come up to me and say, what can we do to help? You know, if you need a cleaning party at the new space, if you need painting help, if you need anything, you let us know. And I'm not good at like (laughs) taking help from others. So it's something I'm working on. I like. You seem to be excellent at it. (laughs) It's all a, a mirage because it's a struggle daily. But this community just shows up in ways that are unimaginable. And so I want to be able to give back to them when the time is right. And we've got a lot of fun stuff planned here at Gastro Park. I'm going to start 
doing more prepared foods here out of Gastro Park and really kind of morph what we're doing at Gastro Park to help meet the needs of this food community here, which is food truck based, bar based, coffee based. And you're going to duplicate some of that at the new space, yes? Yes, yes. Our whole menu that's currently here will be available in Avon. We're going to expand into doing more laminated pastries, which are croissants and danishes. The thing that we do is all of our croissants and stuff are sourdough. So we don't use any commercial yeast in the bakery, and I don't plan on it. All of it is made with mother tea. (laughs) And we're going to be able to do more of what we really love doing and continue to work with some of the restaurants. We work with amazing restaurant partners. So we've got Millwrights, we've got Present Company out in Terrafil where people can find our bread on the menu, Union Kitchen here in West Hartford, Terrenio, which is Tyler Anderson's restaurant downtown. We've got Hands on Hartford, which is the Gather 55 restaurant, which I'm really proud to be working with them. We've got Blue Plate Kitchen out in Bishop's Corner. Hartford Flavor gets bread from us for some of their cheese plates every week that they make. They all trusted in us from the beginning and said, we would like for you to provide our bread. And the bread will always be the engine of what we do. Everything else is just because we love baking and we love what we do around baking. But bread is my my true passion. The word love comes up a lot. And I just want to say, you taste that love in every bite, whether it's bread, cookies, granola, or just walking up to the counter. So on behalf of the entire community, I want to say how thrilled we are to have you here and how psyched uh, I am to have you in Avon soon. And walking distance <laughs> to your house. I know. Thank you. I'm excited. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. That was cookbook author Terry Walters talking with Kevin Massey of Small State Provisions in West Hartford and soon in Avon, too. For news about the bakeries, follow at Small State on Instagram and Facebook. And you can learn more about all of Terry's books and her cooking classes by visiting her website, terrywalters.net. And Terry is with a Y, by the way. Seasoned is produced by me and Katie Tolerski, Meg Dalton, Catrice Claudio, Stephanie Stender, Tegan Engel, Meg Fitzgerald, Sabrina Herrera. To keep up with the latest on Seasoned, follow at CT Public on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And we're at WNPR on Twitter, or follow the hashtag SeasonedCT on all platforms. Go to ctpublic.org food to see our featured recipes, videos, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter full plate. I'm Robin Doyon Aiken. And I'm Chef Plum. Tune in Thursday, May 25th at 2 p.m. I'll be live in studio with three of the state's best mixologists to take your calls and dish about summer cocktails. Don't miss it. Catch past episodes of Seasoned wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you'd rate us on Apple Podcasts, too. It'll help other food lovers find us. Thanks for listening, everybody. Everybody.